I tilt your computer just a little bit? I can't see your eyes. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> just talking there to your go. nose. Is that better? Yeah, it's much better. I have I have the recording thing and my um text document open, so all I see is like your little screen and screen. I see. <laughs> I did not realize I was being weird. Yeah, there see, we go. That's a given. I checked. I checked it. I can <laughs> see myself now. Cool. Should we do the show? Uh, I guess we should. Hello, everyone, and welcome back <laughs> to Super Duper Stitches, the paranormal podcast about the science of the strange. I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake. And we are here again. We've just used our last ticket last week for August Around the World, so we're all tired out, and we figured we would shift the burden of prompt selection back to you, our sweet listeners. Yes. So this week's topic was kindly suggested to us by Utah listener Lee. Thanks, Lee. Thank you, Lee. That, of course, was to use the application Randonautica <laughs> to uh, help Jake and myself pick stories for today. For those of you who don't know, Randonautica is a free-to-use application that is meant to operate as sort of half augmented reality, half live-action role-play storytelling experience, I guess. Yeah, it's meant to just... It's like a purely algorithmic and arbitrary thing. It, it just determines random coordinates within a defined radius of your location says, hey, go there and, and check it out what's what's there. But what it says it's doing is that it is the world's first quantumly generated choose-your-own-adventure reality <laughs> game. So ostensibly, you tell the application where you are and then pick from a handful of location types and then focus your intention on the kind of place or thing you want to experience. <laughs> and uh, after some moments go by, it provides you with a pin on the map for you to check out. Very spooky. And what will you find there? An incredible new experience? A dead body in a suitcase? Or will you perhaps find yourself somewhere along the way? <laughs> whatever the case, we both used Randonautica to go friggin' somewhere and used whatever location we ended up at as the flimsiest possible basis for some podcast content. Does this make for good listening? I don't know. Has anything we put out? Hard to make say. For good. So that's what we're doing today. <laughs> yes. Um, so I did do some testing on this program, and I am actually pretty impressed. I honestly did not expect that you could wrap this much tinsel around what is essentially a random pin drop function, but here we are, and here we go. <laughs> I uh, for my for my intention when I focused in on my Randonautica experience, I, I focused my mind on finishing my lunch, <laughs> and. Um, I could just feel my phone heating up from the uh, two megabytes of quantum random pin drop <laughs> machinery uh, whirring violently inside. And uh, then there it was. A uh, pin had dropped on sort of kind of a park that's nearby my house and sort of on the street adjacent to that park. Great. So for my prompt today, I set about trying to find stuff associated with parks. <laughs> and uh, this was kind of tricky and as Jake already knows, it was only a matter of time before I found myself pulled into yet another another kind of vortex of unadulterated bullshit, which is, of course, the R No Sleep Forum on Reddit. <laughs> and is it me? Do I go first today, Jake? You do. Oh, thank God. <laughs> uh, surprisingly, and somewhat to my horror, uh, it was only then that I realized that this was actually the adventure that Randonautica's uh, fully functioning quantum app computer thing was driving me towards. So... <laughs> I have to eat my words. <laughs> so we have now five-year-old words from user Search and Rescue Woods. <laughs> uh, writing in 2015 under the subject line, quote, 
I'm a search and rescue officer for the U.S. Forest Service. I have some stories to tell. Search and Rescue Woods crafts not one, not two, not three, not four, but eight (laughs) mega dumps of stories, Jake. There's so much content. I'm going to read all of them. Just kidding. (laughs) Obviously, it's so much and beyond anything I can cover today. So I figured I would just pick a few from page one, page four, and page eight and um, see if his technique improves or devolves. <laughs> but after all, why should they change as they're all? Obviously, this guy's very real experience as an SAR officer. So let's just see. Uh, Jake, also, see if you can't call out any classic, if read it were a drinking game worthy moments in this piece. Um, so, okay, I'll just start on page one. <laughs> um also, apologies to everyone at home. You could just skip forward uh, probably about 25 minutes and just get to Jake's segment. <laughs> Mine's not better. He begins. I wasn't sure where else to post these stories, so I figured I'd share them here. I've been an SAR officer for a few years now. I think that's already the way, a drink there the very first sentence. Yes, it indeed is. I've been an SAR officer. Yeah, I didn't know where else to put them. I had to come here. To this creepypasta forum. To this creepypasta forum for 12-year-olds. I've been an SAR officer and desperate podcast host. I've been an SAR officer for a few (laughs) years now. And along the way, I've seen some things that I think you guys will be interested in. I have a pretty good track record for finding missing people. Most of the time, they just wander off the path or slip down a small cliff, and they can't find their way back. The majority of them have heard the old stay-where-you-are thing, and they don't wander far. But I've had two cases where that didn't happen. Both bothered me a lot. I'm enjoying this character so far. Thanks. I had not planned to do it, but now he has entered the room. (laughs) Both bothered me a lot. And I use them as motivation to search. (laughs) I'll stop. Do whatever you want. I'll I'll stop getting even more sexual with it. Just goes fully into Christian Bale Batman voice with it. Yeah, let's see if I can get there. And I use them as motivation to search even harder on the missing persons cases I get called on. The first was a little boy who was out berry picking with his parents. He and his sister were together and both of them went missing around the same time. Their parents lost sight of them for a few seconds. And in that time, both the kids apparently wandered off. When their parents couldn't find them, they called us and we came out to search the area. We found the daughter pretty quickly. And when we asked her, uh, wait a second, where was I? <laughs> and when we asked where her brother was, she told us that he'd been taken away by the bear man. Oh. She said he gave her berries and told her to stay quiet. How was berries spelled? B A X Y X X S. Okay. I didn't, wasn't sure. What, okay. The bear man might have a different kind of berry. I wasn't I'm sure. <sighs> that he wanted to play with her brother for a while. The last she saw of her brother, he was riding on the shoulders of the bear man and seemed calm. Of course, our first thought was abduction, but we never found a trace of another human being in that I area. Oh, but the way you were just enunciating those syllables made me think you're going to go. Our first thought was. And then we thought abduction, <laughs> but we never found a trace of another human being in that area. The little girl was also insisted that he wasn't a normal man, but that he was tall and covered in hair like a bear and that he had a weird face. 
We searched that area for weeks. It was one of the longest calls I've ever been on, but we never found a single trace of that kid. The other was a young woman who was out hiking with her mom and grandpa. According to the mother, her daughter had climbed up a tree to get a better view of the forest, and she'd never come back down. They waited at the base of the tree for hours, calling her name, before they called for help. Again, we searched everywhere, and we never found a trace of her, except for a skeleton up inside of the tree. Just kidding. (laughs) I have no idea where she could possibly have gone, because neither her mother or grandpa saw her come down. Some fucking search and rescue guy you are, dude. Jesus. One of the scariest things I've ever had happen to me involved the search for a young woman who'd gotten separated from her hiking group. We were out until late at night because the dogs had picked up her scent. Hmm. When we found her, she was curled up under a large rotted log. She was missing her shoes and pack, and she was clearly in shock. She didn't have any injuries, and we were able to get her to walk with us back to base ops. (laughs) Along the way, she kept looking behind us and asking why that big man with black eyes was following us. We couldn't see anyone, so we just wrote it off as some weird symptom of shock. We also made her walk in the back of the group, too, after that. And we didn't put shoes on her feet. She just had to walk barefoot because we're mean. (laughs) But the closer we got to base, the more agitated this woman got. She kept asking me to tell him to stop making faces at her. At one point, she stopped and turned around and started yelling into the forest, saying that she wanted him to leave her alone. She wasn't going to go with him, she said, and she wouldn't give us... To him. We finally got her to keep moving, but we started hearing these weird noises coming from all around us. It was almost like coughing, but more rhythmic and deeper. It was almost insect like. I don't really know how else to describe it because I'm bad at this. <laughs> you know what insects cough? Cough, but <laughs> rhythmically sad. and deeply? Yeah. That <laughs> it's like giant cicadas. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway. Ah, when we were within sight of base ops, this woman turns to me, (laughs) and her eyes were about as wide as I can imagine a human could open them. She touches my shoulder and says, he says to tell you to speed up. He doesn't like looking at the scar on your neck. I have a very small scar on the base of my neck, but it's mostly hidden under my collar, and I have no idea how this woman saw it. Right after she says it, I hear that weird coughing right in my ear, and I just about jumped out of my skin. (laughs) I hustled, I hustled her to ops, trying not to show how freaked out I was. But I have to say, I was really happy when we left the area that night. <laughs> this is the last one I'll tell, and it's probably the weirdest story I have. Of course, aside from the rest, I'll tell on eight entire additional pages. <laughs> now, I don't know if the story is true in every SAR unit, but in mine, it's sort of an unspoken regular thing we run into. You can try asking about it with other SAR officers, but even if they know what you're talking about, they probably won't say anything about it because it's totally real and I'm not making it up. <laughs> we've been told not to talk about it by our superiors, and at this point, we've all gotten so used to it that it doesn't even seem weird anymore, so stop giving me such a hard time about how fake it is. <laughs> On just about every case where we're really far into the wilderness, I'm talking 30 or 40 miles, at some point we'll find a staircase. In the middle of the woods. (laughs) It's almost like if you took the stairs in your house, cut them out, and put them in the forest. You know, stairs? You guys know stairs, right? I'm not the only one who knows stairs. Yeah, if you took the stairs and put them in the woods, it's those kind of stairs. It's just like that. (laughs) (laughs) I asked about it the first time I saw some, and the other officer just told me not to worry about it, that that it was normal. 
Everyone I asked said the same thing. I wanted to go check them out, but I was told very emphatically that I should never go near any of them. I just sort of ignore them now when I run into them because it happens so frequently, and I'm very bad at going up them. I have a lot more stories, and I suppose if anyone's interested, I'll tell some of them tomorrow. If anyone has any theories about the stairs, or if you've seen them too, let me know. Now from page four. Hi, guys. I'm back from my training op, and I have a lot of really interesting stories to share with you. I've got enough that I'm going to break them up into two parts, this being the first. I'd love to put them all in one entry, but I just haven't had the chance to write them all down yet. Because I haven't thought them all up yet. (laughs) I didn't have anything too crazy happen while I was out there, but we did have one incident with a rookie that I found relevant. Since I'm sure you guys have been waiting for these, I'll just get right into the stories. I'll sign each batch of stories to the person who told them to me. KD. KD is a vet who's been an SAR officer for about 15 years. She specializes in high elevation mountain rescues and is widely considered one of the best in her field. She was one of the more enthusiastic storytellers and since we were together a fair amount during exercises, she ended up telling me about four that really stuck with me. He tells two that are basically gruesome death of hiker climber fantasies, so I'm not going to read those. (laughs) Thank you. And then... I mentioned to her that I was interested in hearing about any experiences she had with people completely disappearing. Her eyes light up and she leans in close to me. Want to hear a real doozy? (laughs) She asks. She tells me about how when she first started, there was a case that got a lot of attention in the media. A family had been out berry picking in an area of the forest very close to the entrance of the park. Was it a mom and her daughter named Sal with a blueberry picking? Oh, I don't know. Did Sal end up accidentally wandering over to... The mother black bear and the baby black bear wandered over to Sal's mom. And they're both like, oh, I'm scared, and ran back and learned not to wander too far. And that was an eventful day for them. Have you Maybe. read Blueberries for Sal? <laughs> Is that just me? Is that um, a regional book? Blueberries for Sal. That's not Sal's choice? <laughs> no. All right. Sophie's Blueberries? <laughs> nope, not that one either. Okay. Choices for Sal. (laughs) Choices for blueberries. (laughs) Blueberries for choices. They had two little boys, both under the age of five, and at some point during the day, one of them vanishes. There's an absolutely massive search, and they find absolutely nothing. It's another of those cases where it's like the kid was never there in the first place. The dogs just sit down and don't pick up on anything. No trace of the kid is found. Search goes on for about two months, but is eventually called off. Fast forward to six months later. Family comes back to place flowers at a memorial that's been set up for uh, set up there for the kid. They bring their other son. While they're placing the flowers, they lose sight of the kid for about three seconds. And in that span of time, he vanishes into thin air. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, the parents are beyond devastated. It's awful enough to lose one child, but to lose two is beyond imagining. The search is huge, one of the largest in state history, whatever state we're in and whatever history that is. There are about 300 volunteers you can't find in the news combing every inch of this park looking for the kid. But again, there's no trace of him. The search goes on for about a week with people looking miles from the part of the park that he vanished from. And then almost two weeks later, a volunteer almost 15 miles from the designated search area radios in that he's found the kid. They assumed that the kid was dead. The volunteer says he's not only alive, he's in good shape. He's ripped. (laughs) He's jacked, yeah. (laughs) Katie and her team go out to recover the kid, and when they get there, she can't believe that this is the kid that's been missing. His clothes are clean. There's no dirt on him anywhere, and he doesn't appear traumatized. 
The volunteer says he's found the kid sitting in a log, playing with a little twig bundle that he's bound together with some old rope. Katie asks him where he's been, who he was with for those two weeks, and the kid tells her that he's been with the fuzzy man. (laughs) Now, Katie firmly believes in Bigfoot, so she gets all excited and asks what he means by fuzzy. Was he hairy? But the kid says no, he wasn't hairy. He was a fuzzy man. And he describes (laughs) the man that's blurry, like when you close your eyes, but not all the way closed. (laughs) He says the man came out of the trees and took the kid with him deep into the woods. The kid says he slept in a hollow tree. Eh, fuck this story. I'm tired of it. (laughs) He goes on and on. Finally, from page eight. Uh, This will just have to stand alone as a non sequitur, which I think is for the best for everyone. (laughs) This will be my final update for now. Things have deteriorated here to a degree that I didn't foresee. I didn't know how much writing about the things that are happening out here would affect every single part of my life. Maybe that was stupid of me. That's when you finish your drink if you're doing the Reddit thing. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe I should have considered it more seriously. But honestly, I just thought I was writing about things that a few people would want to hear. I didn't think it would get this much attention. I didn't think I'd be expected to come up with more and keep having new ideas. Yeah, and volu- and I I didn't expect myself to volunteer more stories constantly and basically stoke the fire of this <laughs> over and over again. I I also didn't expect to ignore people continuously asking why I'm ripping off David Politis and just all the four one one shit. But <laughs> ooh, that's that's it's too late now. People ask me about the stairs now. It doesn't happen every day, but when it does happen, I never really know what to say. My bosses know someone is talking about them. And I'm sure that if they know, the higher-ups know. At the top of the stairs? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I can tell you that they aren't happy about it. I've been formally told that I am not to speak a word about them to anyone anymore, which is part of the reason this has to be my final update. They said I could do one more update, and then I have to stop. <laughs> I can't risk my job for this. As much as it's been wonderful to get a lot of these things off my mind, I still do love my work, and I need to be out here. If anything, my being aware of what's really going on is enough reason to stick it out. I may not be able to tell people that they're out there, but if I see them, I can direct traffic away to somewhere safer. Because of the amount of attention the stories have gotten, I've heard a lot of stories being swapped back and forth. I've heard so many I can't even remember most of them. The ones I do remember are the ones I wish I could forget. (laughs) Open a new drink, drink the entire thing. (laughs) Yes. So many stories about children. So many of them going missing and turning up in caves, wedged in between impossibly tight spaces. (laughs) So many of them found on mountain peaks or at the bottoms of sheer gullies. Missing shoes, missing socks, or both, or found with, oh shit. (laughs) Missing both shoes and socks. <laughs> the horror. Missing shoes. Missing socks were found with both in perfect condition despite being miles and miles away from where they vanished. All apparently fine bodily, however, it sounds like. Yeah, and like the shoes and the socks. I mean, as we all know, the biggest indicator of bodily trauma. So many stories <laughs> of black-eyed people wandering around the woods and calling out in the night. Mimicking the sound of running water or a bobcat screaming. Or both at the same time. (laughs) One man in particular goes to every news station he thinks will listen to him and tells the same story. 
He was deer hunting and camped out in a very remote area and woke up because something was scraping against his tent. He thought it was a raccoon or a fox until the thing pressed its face against the door of the tent, at which point he could very clearly make out a human nose and mouth. He kicked at it, but it leapt back and was gone by the time he opened the tent flap. I thought it was the tent door, a gun at his side. He fired two warning shots. When the sound had faded, he heard a snap behind him. A man was standing at the edge of the campsite. This man was not wearing any clothing, but he also didn't possess any kind of human flesh. As this hunter described it, the man was made of some amalgamation of raw meat and hair. Oh, God. As if someone had scooped up roadkill and molded it into the vague shape of a man. The face was lumpy and only a rough approximation of a human face. The thing opened its lopsided mouth, and from it came the sound of the gun the hunter had fired. It did this twice before mimicking the sound of the tent zipper and fleeing into the night. (laughs) There are so many things I won't ever be able to understand about my job, and it would take me years to relate all of the things I've heard in the last few months. When I feel like my job isn't, isn't in jeopardy, I will come back. It may be in a different format, but I will come back. Thank you all for sticking by my side and enjoying the things I've talked about. If you go out into the woods, I encourage you to be safe. Bring water, food, survival equipment. Let people know where you're going and when you'll be back. Don't go on uncharted paths unless you know exactly what you're doing. And above all, don't touch them. Don't look at them. Don't go up them. (sighs) So, I'm sorry. That was what I did for today. Uh, yep. And, uh, yeah, the community doesn't even like his shit. People are like, that's a cool story, dude. At first I wanted to believe, but now I think you're just a lot of creepypasta. And like, why are you ripping off David Politis and everything? So, uh, yeah. You could have said it's the first one and then left people wanting more. Like, you don't need to... Like, that's a good piece of advice for eight people writing pages. Yeah, eight pages is a lot. I mean, the whole point of the No Sleep subreddit is to just write cool little horror stories that are fun and act as though they are real and then have people react accordingly and be creeped out and be like, oh, yeah, something like that happened to me and all this creepy. And then, you know, move on, write more new stuff after that later. Not just keep building on the same thing till you realize, oh, wait, I don't have more ideas for this. Uh, shit, how do I get out of yeah. this? Yeah. Oh, my God. Exhausting. <laughs> well, thank you, Wyatt, and thank you, Randonautica. For oh us yeah, ah uh, <laughs> yes. My apologies. It's not my fault. The app made me do it. Somewhere buried in my lunch food was the intention to read a bunch of no sleep bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Jake, I dare say before I pass it off to you, should we talk about a certain something or other? I think it would be improper not to especially since i am drinking that something or other that's something or other being a thing from a brewery in western massachusetts which (laughs) specializes i didn't know where we were gonna take because i also didn't know in western mass so we keep saying in western mass but like where because people who live east of worcester say they live either in or just outside of boston no matter how untrue that is and everyone west of worcester just says i live in western mass that is true. What are we talking? We are talking specifically in Eastampton. <laughs> Eastampton? Eastampton. We're, of course, talking about Four Phantoms Brewery. <laughs> that is right. Who, for some reason, keeps letting us do ads. 
And this is, of course, a very awesome brewery. Yeah, we're maybe getting a little too fast and loose, but you know what? That's why you love us. <laughs> oh, God, Jake. Um, this is, of course, a little brewery in East Hampton um, <laughs> that combines the ingredients Dungeons and Dragons, heavy metal, and alcohol to make beer. Yeah, beer is the thing we're getting at. Four Phantoms, they, they make beer. We uh, drink the beer. You should drink the beer. It is a good time. When we last talked about the beer, we were very confused about it because we were in a weird kind of time warp where we hadn't had it yet or hadn't heard of it yet. The news that right. they have out. We have now both had it. In fact, I'm drinking it right now. They have a new Pilsner out right now called Battle Jacket. It's great. Uh, you got a lid playing so, guitar. It is so, so good. I usually hate Pilsners. I don't care for Pilsners. I don't find them good at all. I really enjoy this Pilsner. It's very, very enjoyable summer beer. They also have a new version of their uh, Johnny Flip Flops Sour out right now. It's a mojito sour. Uh, Lauren and I both enjoyed that very much. Very cool combination of flavors that works very well. Yes. You get the lime, you get the mint, you get the good times. Both of those beers are currently available, as are, I think, a few others that are part of their typical lineup. They can be purchased in stores throughout Massachusetts and Rhode Island, but if you are understandably still cautious about going into any shopping center or simply can't find them there and feel like going to Western Mass, (laughs) they do curbside pickup, and uh, you can reach out through contact information that I think we'll have with the episode notes. Oh yes, every time. Otherwise, as ever, please do consider supporting them by leaving a favorable and creative review at untappid.com. If you mention us in that review, we'll read it on here. And if you want to review us on Untappd <laughs> also, that's fine. How good a job are we doing with these ads? <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, in the meantime, thanks so much to Four Phantoms. Check them out. You won't be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And uh, back to the show. Yeah. All right, Jake, take it away. All righty. I was driving in my car not but two days ago, and uh, once finished with the errands at hand, I set a course for Anomaly using the default Australian National University as the entropy source and setting mm-hmm. the distance to the fucking max, i.e. 10 kilometers. Whoa. Uh, this took us to an area of near north Minneapolis we hadn't been to before to part of a neighborhood mm-hmm. not far from a major road. How rando. I know. We parked, got out of the car, and walked to the spot marked on the map. It was only a few dozen yards away. We got closer and closer, eagerly looking around for anything anomalous or Australian. We reached our destination. The coordinates given by the app were now our exact coordinates. And there it was, Wyatt. A section of sidewalk that could be best described as mildly under construction. Mmm. Now that is spooky. Across the street, a kingdom hall of Jehovah's Witnesses. Somewhere off to the left, I think. A yard sign about Girl Scout something or other. And so I bring you the following story scooped up from GhostCityTours.com. Juliet McGill Kinsey Gordon was born on October 31st, 1860 in Savannah, Georgia, the second hmm. of six children to Eleanor Kinsey Gordon and William Washington Gordon the second. She was affected, affectionately Wait, known- she was William Washington Gordon's kid? Yes. Holy shit. <laughs> She was affectionately known as Daisy, a nickname Juliet's uncle appointed to her as an infant and one that stuck for the rest of her life. Daisy's father, who was from Savannah, fought for the Confederacy during the American Civil War, while her mother's family from Chicago, Illinois, fought for the Union. Daisy's grandmother, Sarah, Aunt Eliza, 
The enslaved women workers of the home, the cook Nancy, and the nurse May fought hard to make sure everyone was clothed and fed while the men were away fighting. Uh, a delicate, empathetic, inquisitive, playful, and headstrong young lady, Daisy showed compassion and concern for everyone, humans, animals, and nature alike. Going to put an asterisk next to that on the grounds of her family owning human beings as slaves. Yeah. Uh, also linked true. to a Smithsonian article that touches on the subject a little bit with regards to where the story is headed, at least. Hmm. Um, that'll make more sense later on. I'll explain. Mm-hmm. Uh, she enjoyed spending time with her siblings and cousins, dressing up and gathering everyone together for art projects and games of make-believe. She loved hmm. to paint and draw, swim in the nearby rivers, learn about animals, climb trees, and wander around in nature, taking in the sights and sounds of the environment. Because Daisy's parents were well off, reminder, this means were slave owners, uh, they could afford mm-hmm. to send her and her siblings to exclusive boarding schools and finishing schools. Her favorite subject was art, a hobby she carried through the rest of her life in drawing, painting, and sculpting. Hmm. Young Daisy met a handsome man named William Lowe, called Billo, who was the son of a, I guess it's Bill Lowe. Billo, that makes sense. Who was the son of a wealthy British businessman. Wait, Billo Baggins? <laughs> yeah. Wealthy British businessman Andrew Lowe, Savannah. Again, businessman in Savannah in the mid-1800s. I'll let you do the math. Um, yeah, right. They married in 1886 and had come uh, and had homes in both Savannah and England. Popular. Um, a lot hotter for a second there. Carry on. <laughs> uh, popular among the high society folk of England and Scotland were her husband's, uh, where her husband's family hailed from. Uh, Daisy's life became full of hunting parties, dances, court presentations, and fancy celebrations that took up much of their time in Britain, where they spent much of their married life. Hmm. Returning to Savannah often, Daisy visited her friends and family and kept up their low home. An ultimately troubled marriage that neared divorce, but finally ended with Billow's death in 1905. Hmm. So, more details beyond what was in this website. He was having at least one affair and drinking a whole lot. Uh, they began divorce proceedings, but never finished them before he died. He tried leaving Yeesh. everything to his mistress, but her uh, his sisters contested it so that Daisy ended up with a sum of money and their Savannah house. Wow. You got to be a real douchebag if even your own sisters are like, you're a fucking asshole, dude. <laughs> Daisy was plagued with a lifetime of ear injuries and infections that resulted in near total hearing loss. Whoa. An improperly treated abscess resulting from a piece of rice that was lodged in her ear during her and Bella's <sighs> wedding caused an infection and the resulting operation only further damaged what little hearing, uh, hearing she had left. Ooh. So that old tradition of throwing rice after the wedding, some got in Don't her ear and it. fucked shit up. Oh so, my yeah. God, can you imagine? I Oh, oh. oh my God. Uh. I can't handle that. Go, <laughs> go on. Although she and Bill never had children of their own, Daisy set out to find her life's purpose after her husband's death. And so she eat, pray, loved her way around the world. <laughs> uh, upon her return to London in 1911, she met the founder of the Boy Scouts, Robert Baden-Powell, and the rest, mm-hmm. as they say, is history, which is to say she founded the Girl Scouts. Oh. Uh, there was already an offshoot of the Boy Scouts called the Girl Guides, and she became very involved with them first, mostly in Scotland. Then hmm. she finally brought the Girl Guides concept to the U.S. in 1912, establishing its headquarters at the remodeled carriage house of her uh, place in Savannah. There were actually a few groups competing to be the analog to the Boy Scouts, and Daisy changed the name to the Girl Scouts, kept courting high-profile supporters, and turned Hmm. it into the fixture that it would later become. That's Uh, sick. Headquarters moved to D.C., and the rest, as the article already said, is indeed history. Also history. (laughs) Yes. After an enduring and very private battle with breast cancer, Juliet, which I guess we are now calling her, died on January 17, 1927 at her home in Savannah, Georgia. Hmm. 
200 Girl Scouts were in attendance, and Daisy, there we go, was buried in her Girl Scout uniform. She resides eternally at Laurel Grove Cemetery in Savannah. Hmm. Uh, built by Elizabeth and James Moore Wayne in 1821, the Juliet Gordon Low House is a federal-style home made of brick made of brick-covered stucco, it says, but is when you just pile up big blobs of stucco and then stick some bricks <laughs> to the outside, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing stucco-covered brick. Uh, well-known English architect <laughs> William Jay is believed to have designed the home that is known not only for its architectural beauty, but for its historical significance. Hmm. James Moore Wayne was a lawyer and judge who served on the Supreme Court, as well as a one-time mayor of the city of Savannah. He sold the home just 10 years later and to William... And he's Batman's dad. <laughs> sold the home just 10 years later to William and his niece Sarah Stiles Gordon, Juliet's paternal grandparents. Uh, William died young, and Sarah lived at the residence until her death in 1882, the same year that Juliet's father purchased the home to ensure it stayed in the Gordon family. Juliet was born at the residence on Halloween, 1860, and lived there with her family and the people they owned until the Civil War. While Juliet moved into her husband's family home on Lafayette Square after their marriage, the home stayed in the Gordon family until it was purchased by the Girl Scouts of America in 1953 and began its journey as a living house museum. It was considered hmm. like it's the birthplace of the founder of the Girl Scouts, so now it's a museum. The Historic House Museum opened to the public in 1956 and serves as a living memorial to the founder of the Girl Scouts of America. Many mm. who visit the Juliet Gordon Lowe House in Savannah today believe that Daisy's family still resides there centuries later. Mm. Feelings of another presence in the room. Sounds buried the lead. Yes, I buried it so deeply. So very deeply. Six feet underground. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, feelings of another presence in the room. Sounds of footsteps. And the apparition of Nellie, Juliet's mother, have all been reported by staff as well as visitors. Mm. The story goes that the day of Nellie's passing, Juliet and her immediate family, along with staff of the home, gathered around Nellie's bedside saying their final goodbyes when Nellie told her family not to cry for her, for she was soon going to be reunited with her soulmate, the love of her life, her captain. Uh, They referred to her the grandfather as the captain. Um, Oh, her captain, her captain? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Just then, frail Nellie abruptly sat straight up out of her deathbed, outstretched her arms in greeting, smiled widely, then suddenly laid softly on her pillow and gently passed away. Uh, Meanwhile, Margaret, Nellie's daughter-in-law, stared at the doorway with her mouth agape as she recalled to her husband uh, that his father, Mr. William Gordon II, the captain, who had passed away just a few years ago, um, just walked into his dying wife's bedroom in his favorite gray suit and hat. Wow. When uh, when Juliet came downstairs to let the rest of the house know of her mother's passing, the butler, wide-eyed and in disbelief of what he just saw, told her not to worry about Nellie, for she and the captain just walked out the front door of the house arm-in-arm. Arm. That's cute. Yeah. The spirit of Miss Nellie has been seen peering out the windows of Juliet Gordon Lowe home. She's also been seen sitting at the dining room table, sipping a cup of tea, and heard playing the piano in the living room. At least one instance I saw that said that she also was sometimes seen sliding down the banister, but I don't know why that would be the case. <laughs> um, her apparition tends to appear after hours when the home is quiet and closed to visitors. Mm-hmm. Juliet's paintings and drawings adorn the walls of the house museum. Gordon family heirlooms, furnishings, and memorabilia decorate every room and space in the home. They say residual spirits sometimes remain in personal belongings. We, this means the folks at ghostcitytours.com, <laughs> believe the artifacts of the Juliet Gordon Lowe House are no different. Mm-hmm. One woman tells of an unexplained experience with her friends as young Girl Scouts when visiting. With an extremely heavy air, they sensed a presence as soon as they entered the home, and it kept them from enjoying the experience. 
Mm. Interested in, quote-unquote, capturing a ghost, she and her friends put a carrot under a shoebox and propped it up with a stick tied to a string. No, uh, they, ghost they, trap. They, they wielded their cameras in preparation, only to be told that photos were not allowed. Bummer. One camera turned on by itself and took pictures in the direction of the floor. A likely excuse. Another's full battery charge emptied and another camera shut off by itself. This, needless to say, frightened the girls and had their hearts racing the entire tour. One girl wow. even saw an orb fly past a doorway while on the tour. Sufficiently scared out of their wits, they recall these memories years later. Whether I don't know if it means they didn't tell the story till years later or what, but <laughs> they simply sat at home quietly recalling them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whether Nellie is there to keep her home in check, not sure what they think that phrase means, and mm-hmm. live out eternity with her beloved captain, or Juliet captain. is there to greet <laughs> right uh, to greet every Girl Scout <laughs> who steps over the threshold. One thing is for sure. Spirits reside at this grand Savannah home, and they are eager to show you around. The end, and I guess. a little, little more if you're willing to uh, <laughs> go there. Uh, as you very likely guessed, I just straight up Googled Girl Scouts ghost and looked around till I found this. That uh, is what I got. I forgot the location. What did it have there? It was like there was Girl a lawn sign that had something to do with the Girl Scouts. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, the Smithsonian article I am linking to is about the segregated history of the Girl Scouts uh, for mm. the first good chunk of the organization's existence. Mm-hmm. Certainly the group has moved steadily in a progressive direction since then, but it's mm. always good to keep the full context of history in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, one unrelated super cool group I just learned about earlier this year is the Radical Monarchs, which is a very hmm. social justice forward organization, especially intended to accommodate girls of color and a broader LGBTQ base. I'll link to them as well because super cool. Hell yeah. And now, lest you and our listeners conclude that old Jake didn't do his due diligence and just settled for the first and only location the app suggested, let me assure you that I tried several. The second coordinates that the app coughed out were about two and a half blocks from our apartment next to the co-op where we bring our compost but never shop because it's so fucking expensive, and across the street from my favorite local liquor store. Location was actually on the side so, of the co-op. So weird. random. Yeah, so random. Weird quantum computer stuff happening here. Um, where the pin actually dropped was pretty close to where the compact bins are stored. In fact, when yeah. I went there, I, don't know, it was, I think it was the time before the most recent time we brought our compost over. The bins were all completely full, and when I unlocked one to get into it, it uh, was just nothing but maggots. Mm. I was like, "Oh, great, thank you, awesome, mm-hmm. good times," and then just mm-hmm. close it back up again. Were you thinking about compost when you were using the app? I I must have been. I just not realized it. Uh, mm-hmm. Although the pin did actually drop pretty much right next to the food truck that is right there across the street from the co-op, which totally rules. Uh, if we have any Twin City listeners, and I know we don't, do yourself a favor and hit up Las Cuatro Milpas for some terrific tacos and more. It's freaking good. I want to go back there sometime soon. For the third set of coordinates, I chose Void instead of Anomaly, and I just looked at the Google Street View first before trying to go anywhere because lazy, only to find a totally black image no matter which way I turned the camera. Wow. So I thought, oh, cool. This is an actual void. <laughs> and then I moved the little yellow figurine dude a little tiny bit up the street he was on and immediately just saw the super wealthy neighborhood over by the nearest lake, which is where he was. And uh, that's just a weird hiccup in Google Street View. Hmm. So instead, I decided to wait until last night, give it another shot, and once again physically go where it sent me. Uh, Lauren and I ended up walking down toward the aforementioned nearest lake, but this time the so-called temporal anomaly 
was somewhere in a patch of woods just off the road. Ooh. We circled around alongside the light to try to get to the spot from the other side of the trees. Uh, pretty sure it was right in the middle of some private property. We regretfully declined to trespass. Uh, but then we saw a couple of people go by on roller skates with light-up wheels, so it wasn't a total bust. In conclusion, if some listeners out there want to find some roller skates with light-up wheels in our correct sizes and send them to us, this whole entire episode will have been worth it. Totally worth it. Absolutely. Actually, I'm thinking right now, Jake, mm-hmm. I got this app open again. Mm-hmm. Would you mind helping me do one more search? Just sure. give it one more try. Yeah. Do I pick Anomaly, Attractor, Void, Add-ons, or Options slash Help? Um, I think Options slash Help is the most interesting one, right? We, we want to know how to make this the best thing it can be. It says that my anonymized ID is EB6F5C5E57742D66E248167484D6FC7A10B5F9FF5B347D803FBAF3C35. Surely. Surely not so many digits are necessary for the randomization to be good enough for everyone to use. I actually just read an article that said the only secure usernames and or passwords should be about 75 characters long. (laughs) (laughs) My current radius is about 3K. Shall I update my settings? Sure. I'm going to bump it up to 10,000. Cool. Okay. Now between anomaly, attractor, void, and add-ons. We'll do attractor... I got one right here on the other side of this camera, if you know what I'm saying. A John Deere lawnmower. <laughs> Choose your entropy source. Should you do the ANU, the Australian National University, or yeah. temporal? I'll do temporal. Focus on my intent. I intend to find bananas. Bring me banana now. Oh, <laughs> the results are in. All right. It brought me to. It brought me to a place where I used to go on runs. Oh, interesting. And I wonder if there are bananas there. <laughs> oh, man, there's a lot of bananas, actually. So don't use this app. Don't use it. Don't ever get near it. It's probably just harvesting your data for Russians. And we pooched it. And we also pooched this episode. We're so sorry. <laughs> None of this was good. Uh, we do want to thank those of you who pay us to make this shit. We do a segment... Every now and again, which is uh, we use our arcane computer and the program installed on it called the Patron Appreciation Neural Dive for Evaluation of Risk or Pander Function. And we use it to calculate very, very uh, accurately what creature, cryptid, monster, thingy in the world each of our Patreon patrons should be watching out for themselves. So we will boot this machine up and plug it right into the backs of our skulls where we have a little port. Yep, so let's turn it on here. Ooh, the nice warm glow. Plug it in. There we go. You can feel and, the syn- uh, synchronizing the brain sync taking hold. Yep. Ah, there it is. <laughs> this week we are thanking Erica Price. Erica, please watch out for the Dark, the Dark Watchers. Watchers. Ooh, now we talked about these. I talked about these a while back on you the did. show. It's uh, They're mostly known to be in California. They're a group of mysterious, dark, human-like creatures who stand on the hills, ridges, and peaks of the Santa, Monica, uh, Santa Lucia Mountains. 
Be aware, Erica. They supposedly watch those who wander into the mountains and are not aggressive. Now, it's not clear to me whether the computer is telling me that the people walking are not aggressive <laughs> or if the watchers are. Not. Maybe both, maybe neither. They're most often spotted around twilight and are usually seen staring upwards towards the sky while standing atop the mountains. It's kind of a silhouette situation. Yeah. You see a silhouette. It looks like the kind of robed, maybe wearing a wide-brimmed hat oftentimes. And Reminds others. me of the Skeksis from Dark Crystal. <laughs> seen uh, from a distance. Yeah, they've been seen a whole bunch of the years by some pretty noted figures. Uh, if you want to hear more about that, we got an episode about it. I don't remember which one it is. I'm going to look it up right now. It's very early. Episode 24. Wow, that was a while back. Holy shit. We were basically six years old when this happened. Yeah, that was when we recorded on my bed. Just laying down next to each other. Half naked. (laughs) Just sheen of sweat. (laughs) So yeah, watch. Just watch for the watchers. Who watches the dark watchers? Ideally, Erica, will be you. Yes. And thank you so much for your Patreon support. We appreciate it so very much. Thank you. If you would like to have your name slapped on into this uh, spooky little machine such that we can eventually analyze what creature cryptid or spooky entity you should be on the lookout for, please check us out at patreon.com slash superduperstitious. All it takes is a dollar. One whole greenback, yeah. And you can be entered into the algorithm to have your creature calculated. Beyond that, we got cool stuff for benefits. We've got things like, I don't know, uh, friggin' hoodie. Cur- yeah, we, <laughs> we have actual physical items you can get. We have outtakes, curated outtakes from every oh. month's worth of episodes. We have uh, bonus episodes. At the $10 <laughs> level, you can get uh, stickers, quarterly stickers for a year of totally um, exclusive stickers. You cannot buy these. You can only get them as a patron. Uh, above that, you can also get cool merch discounts and a free merch item. What kind of merch do we got, Wyatt? Hoodie. <laughs> we got hoodie and more. Wyatt just got a hoodie in the mail yesterday, so he's pretty excited about it. And we got t-shirts and razorbacks, and uh, these are tank tops, and... Uh, yeah, so either right? support us on Patreon. <laughs> That's all that Wyatt just said. Absolutely true. Support us on Patreon. We should unplug this machine. I'm doing it right now. Yeah. There you go. Um, support us on Patreon if you want to help with the show. And that way you can also help us out by buying some merch. we got some cool stuff there as well, including but not limited to the logo. Um, some cool things that Katie Amaker drew. The jackalope thing is new and neat. you got to get the jackalope. It's great. And, uh, you know, the artist who does the logo for the show and all of our just general stuff we do branding-wise, Lauren Marple, might have something cool in the works right now. We'll talk about Ooh. more about that later. Very exciting. The cause this week we'd like you to support is gonna, there's so much stuff out there you could do. Please, if you're able to support anything, do so. We're going to just highlight this week hurricane relief for mm. the uh, um, Gulf of Mexico area, especially Louisiana was hit really hard, so we'll have links for mm. that. Um, mm-hmm. Just people absolutely hammered. The effects of climate change are real, folks, and it's going to get worse every year. It's, it's so bad, but people yes, are hurting, indeed. and if you can help them, that would be wonderful. So we appreciate that if you can. If you don't have money to spare and want to help out, there's, you know, we'll, we'll, there's always ways to even just shout out the links to support among your networks. People know about it who can support it. That's cool. Uh, ways to support us that doesn't cost a dime. You can rate and review us on your podcatcher app, whatever that might be. Certainly, Apple Podcast is the biggest one in terms of visibility. So if you want to just leave us a little, little uh, five star review and uh, we would not mind. Yeah, 
very much appreciated. And uh, yeah, other than that, thanks for um, bearing with us for this episode. <laughs> and we'll catch you next week. Bye. 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 <laughs>